So today I want to speak on releasing the power of the Holy Spirit through authoritative power. All right? I'm going to be talking to believers. I've been talking to believers. I'm going to be talking to believers. If you're visiting, that's fine too. I'm talking to you too. All right. You know, when we first became saved, some of you remember that day when you opened your mouth and you confessed that Jesus was Lord. And the Bible says when you believe in your heart and you confess, right? What does the Bible say? It says you're saved. You've become born again. Somebody turn the lights on inside of your soul, inside of your heart. The Bible says that your spirit man that dwells inside this tent, right? This skin and bones that we have, right? That's your tent. That's your body. But the spirit man before Christ was dead in its uh, trespasses and sins. That's what the Bible says in Ephesians 2. True? Just nod your head because it's in the Word. <laughs> But while we were in our trespasses and sins, and this spirit man was dead, the Bible says that when we became a Christian, when we became born again, this spirit man was raised from the dead. Amen? So this spirit man became alive in Christ. There's a lot of people out there in the world today that believe that you know, when you die, that's it. Poof, vapor gone. You no longer exist. Well, the Word of God says this very clearly that your spirit man is going to live for all of eternity. Amen. And if you believe in Christ, then that spirit man is going to dwell in the eternal kingdom of heaven. But if that spirit man is not alive, it will spend its eternity in some place else. That's the truth of it, right? Do you remember that pirate that says, ah, that's the truth of it? Remember him? I like that. When we were born again by the Holy Spirit, the Bible says the Holy Spirit is the one that regenerated the Spirit. And may I suggest that was the first resurrection? Hmm. I don't have enough time to unpack that one, but that's what happened. We were made alive in Christ. Amen? Hallelujah. Now, the Bible says that there's another promise that Jesus told us that we can have, right? And that is the promised what? Holy Spirit. If I say Holy Ghost now and then, that's just my heritage coming out. Ghost has a bit more mm than spirit. When you're baptized in the Holy Ghost, amen? <laughs> Hallelujah. People go, huh, ghost? No. <laughs> when you're baptized in the Holy Ghost, what happens is the fact that your spirit has already been resurrected by the Holy Spirit. So it is not your spirit that gets baptized in the Holy Ghost. Right, it's not your spirit. It's already been raised to life. 
And I can tell you that it's not your soul, which is this brick up here between your ears. It's called your brain, your mind. Your soul is your mind or your uh, intellect and your will and your emotions. That's what your soul is. That's the best way to describe it. It wasn't your soul that got baptized in the Holy Ghost. In fact, you know, receiving the Holy Ghost, this brain of ours is usually in the way because only spiritual things can be spiritually discerned. Amen. Isn't that true? So this brick between your ears usually is the block that prevents you from being baptized in the Holy Ghost because you're always looking for something in the natural. Yes. But, I, but I assure you that it wasn't your soul that got baptized in the Holy Ghost. The Bible says it was your body. Come on now. Body that was baptized in the Holy Ghost. The most unruly member of your body is what? Your tongue. It flaps and it flaps. It says things that it regrets. It says things that it shouldn't, right? It's the most unruly member in your body. So when you're baptized in the Holy Ghost and you're filled with the Holy Ghost, guess which part of your body has to come under control of the Holy Ghost? Your tongue. And the evidence of being filled and infilled with the Holy Spirit is that you start to speak in Yeah? So it wasn't your spirit? It wasn't your soul that got baptized in the Holy Ghost? It was your body. This tent, this temple got filled with the Holy Ghost. Amen? Come on now. Praise His wonderful name. You know, John's Gospel talks about seven miracles. He writes down seven miracles that Jesus did when in three and a half years John was with him. So he wrote down seven specific miracles. Now, remember John did say at the end of his gospel that there were so many miracles that Jesus performed that there isn't enough a big enough book to write all the miracles that Jesus did in the three and a half years. So we, we clued in on that, right? There isn't about, but John wrote seven specific miracles in the Gospels to expose Jesus' ministry and to show who he was, all right? Seven specific miracles. The first one was the water being turned into wine. And all of you love that story, right? You love that miracle. Yeah, Jesus, yeah, he turned the water into wine, right? And everybody, you know, this is, well, that's a good excuse to drink wine. Well, you're missing the boat here. There's a lesson to be learned, right? Okay. The water was in these pots, right? We understand that. Now, these pots that the water were in were big ceremonial washing pots. Do we understand that? The water that was in them was to cleanse the body, right? To have a... A sponge bath, if it were, right? 
to have washed the filth off the feet of people as they entered the home. These big pots were made out of clay, right? And one of the things that Jesus did was turn that water, we could call it the old covenant, right? It represented the old covenant where the word of God would cleanse the Israelites from their sin. Come on. That was the water that was in those pots. When Jesus changed it, he turned it into wine. What does wine represent? The Holy Ghost. Come on, someone say that. Holy Ghost. The wine represented the Holy Ghost, and it is in the clay pots. Do you understand that? Guess where we were made from? The dust of the earth. And in Paul, Apostle Paul calls us jars of clay. And he talks about the treasure in the jars of clay. When Jesus performed that miracle, it was signifying his ministry or exposing his ministry to the rest of the world that I'm not come to bring the law, but to fulfill it so that you may receive the Holy Ghost in Jesus' name. And he's putting the wine, the Holy Ghost, in jars of clay. That's you and I. Somebody say amen. All right. I'll go over this side. No. Romans 8, 11 says this. But if the spirit of him, that's the Holy Spirit, who raised Jesus from the dead, dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your spiritual body. Is that what the world says? Some you will also give life to your mortal bodies. This tent, this body, this temple. Do we understand that? And the reason why I'm going through this this morning is because I want to teach you about something about learning about your authoritative power to release the power of the Holy Spirit. Do we understand that? If we understand that the Spirit, the resurrection power of Jesus Christ dwells in us, dwells in us, and it's going to quicken, bring your mortal body to life. Okay? Wine in the jars of clay. Amen? Amen. This is Jesus' ministry to us. 2 Corinthians says this. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7 says this. But we have this treasure, that's the Holy Spirit, in earthen vessels or jars of clay. And here's why. That the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. The dunamis, you've heard that word. It's a Greek word, right? We get our English word dynamite from dunamis, right? It, it's power. We use that dunamis Greek word. Uh, we translate it as power. But dunamis, dunamis means a lot more than just our English word power. In the lexicon, in the Greek lexicon, it describes this. This is what this word describes. Strength power, not strength and power, but strength power and ability. Inherent 
power. Now get this, inherent power. And I'm going to later on expose that, what that means. Inherit power. You have inherited the power of the Holy Spirit in you. Okay, come on now. Do we understand this? It also, the actual meaning, power residing in a thing by virtue of its nature. Of which a person or thing exerts and puts forth. You know, it takes a lot of, you know, theologians to put all these words together, right? And when they put sentences together, it's like, huh? Right? But I like what they say here. Which a person or thing exerts and puts forth. The power for performing miracles. Not only do we have the resurrection power dwelling in us, we also have authoritative power to release this miraculous power. So when it says a person exerts and puts forth, you've got to have something inside to exert. Would you agree? Yes. Hallelujah. So the Holy Spirit, by its nature, needs to be released. And through our authority... We can exert and put forth the power of the Holy Ghost. Dunamis also means authoritative power. And we have it. We have it. We have it. And the reason why we have it is so that we can release that power out of us. Amen? So you're with me so far. There are three things. Three things. Three things that build authority. Now, Jesus Christ had authority. He gave it to the disciples, didn't he? Before he sent them out, he said, I've given you authority to cast out demons. So they went out, they cast out demons, and they healed the sick. Would you agree? But the authority was coming from his name. They used his name. You've got to remember, this is before the day of Pentecost. Okay? And the day of Pentecost... They were clothed and endued with power, right? So what they were doing before the day of Pentecost was the fact they were using Jesus' name as the authority to release power. Okay, you got that. All right. They were using the authority. But there's something that the Christian needs to understand is that not only... Do we have Christ's authority in his name? And it's wonderful because baby Christians, when they first get saved, they're always using the name of Jesus. And guess what? He's there. Things happen. But you notice that in a believer's life, as a journey goes on, that less and less are happening than when you first believed. And the reason is, is because we need to learn to basically get off the name of Jesus because that's where the power is and start using our own authority to release the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus showed the way. He said, I'm the son of man, right? He didn't say he was the son of God. He was the son of man. He put, he didn't use his deity when he was walking this earth. 
He was absolutely anointed and filled with the Spirit, and he released the Spirit, right? He had the authority to do that. He was teaching men at that time that, yes, I'm here for three and a half years, disciples, but I'm training you that you can use authoritative power to release the Holy Spirit in signs and wonders and miracles just as I have, okay? How do we know that? Anyways, there are three building blocks to our authority. First one is, right, how to build our, or establish our authoritative power. First one, Ephesians 1, verse 17. Let's turn to it. Ephesians 1, verse 17. This is Paul speaking to the Ephesians. In fact, he's praying. He says, I pray. I'm praying for you, Ephesians. I haven't met you yet. I haven't gone to your city yet. But I am praying for you because I've heard about what God is doing through you. So this is it. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. There are three things that I'm going to speak to you about building blocks for your authority. Intimacy, identity, and the faith of Christ. Not faith in Christ, but the faith of Christ. All right? So these are three building blocks. Intimacy, identity, and the faith of Christ. First of all, the Bible says, you know, with Paul writing to the Ephesians, he said, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. Amen? Amen. You know, Intimacy is one of those things that, that, you know, especially as men, we're not taught to be intimate. We're not uh, taught to affirm our spouse when we're married, right? Sometimes we fall into that trap that Satan has of isolation. I can handle it, no problem. I'm a man. I can deal with this situation. I can fix it, right? That's what a man says. I can fix this. I can fix this. Hmm? See, that's not intimacy, right? If there's something wrong, you know, with your relationship, trust me, if it, when you're intimate, it solves the problem, right? Because you're being transparent, you're being open, and you're sharing your feelings. True? Amen. Come on now. And men need to learn to communicate in a proper way in their relationships with their marriage, Right? Your wife isn't there to take your orders because you know best and you can fix it. Right? Amen. I knew women get a charge out of that. See, man, if you're intimate with your wife, you're sharing your feelings, you're affirming her affirmation tank, right? Some of us men never learn how to use that because the role model that we had was that the, the, you know, the father of the house was just bossing everybody around. Do we understand that? To be intimate, share, get to know your spouse. You're not there to order it around. Yes, the Lord has made you the head of the home. Yes, I understand that. He made you the head of the home to ward off the enemy over your family, not to lord it over your family. 
Okay. Before I go down that rabbit hole. <laughs> Intimacy is one of the building blocks for your authority. Men and women need to know how to be intimate with the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Intimacy, get to know him. Spending time with him. Spend the time in the word. Do we realize that the whole word of God, you know, you hear it from preachers and pastors and all of those in the leadership in the kingdom, they keep telling the body of Christ, read the word, 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 study the word, study the word. Find out, quote the word, use the word. Everything about the Word. Do you know why? Because the Word is all about Jesus Christ. In the Old Testament, every single prophecy that was released by the Holy Spirit through the prophets and all those in the Old Testament was all about Jesus Christ. And when that Word became flesh and dwelt among us, right, His name is Jesus Christ. There's a reason why we need to know the Word. Do we understand that? The Old Testament was all about Jesus Christ, the Messiah, coming, coming down to earth, right? That's what the Word said. And when the Word became flesh and dwelt among us in the New Testament time, it is time to get to know the Word because the Word has a name. His name is Jesus Christ. This is why preachers and pastors understand the, 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 uh, the value of knowing the Word because when you know the Word, you know Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Prayer is intimacy, and it's spending time with Him. Now, let me talk about prayer. Some of you... As Christians believe that prayer is when you bring your grocery list to the time of prayer. Or am I the only one that did that? When I was a new believer, oh yeah, I'm going to spend time with prayer. So you write down the grocery list. I remember one day I counted how many were on my grocery list. It's like 52 things that I wanted. That's what I mean by a grocery list. I'm telling you, when you go to Jesus Christ and you have a grocery list of things that you want, that is not intimacy. Petition prayer is not intimacy. Do we understand that? And the thing that we need to grow up in when it comes to intimacy is the fact that you're praying for things on your grocery list that you have already had the promise that he would take care of. Come on. He's going to take care of your shelter. He's going to take care of your clothes. He's going to take care of your food. He's going to take care of the needs that you have every day, every week. It's all there. That's a promise that you're going to get. But your grocery list is still full of those things. You imagine listing your grocery, yeah, I want this and I want that. And you make sure you got Naston Martin on the list, okay? <laughs> Isn't that true? What is God going to do with that grocery list? Because he's already promised in his word 
that your needs will be taken care of according to what? His riches in glory. Somebody say amen. amen. I know I'm kind of, you know, stroking the fur on the cat backwards. But we get this idea that intimacy is praying to the Lord's the list of our needs. And when we're done, half an hour later, listing our wants, yeah, I've spent time in prayer with God. You know, sometimes the reason why we can't get intimate with the Lord is because we have a skewed vision of Him. Our vision, our eyes. This is why Paul prayed about the Ephesians that Lord will open your eyes to see. That He would give you wisdom and revelation so that you may know Him. Amen? You know, I encourage you to use words like this. Dear Lord, I love you. Every wife needs to hear those words from her husband. Amen? The husband's not so much. Yeah, yeah, I know. I said I love you at the altar, and that's good enough. I'll tell you when it changes. But it doesn't create intimacy between you and your spouse. There are certain words that create intimacy with your spouse. It's the same with the Lord Jesus Christ. You start your prayer off by saying, I love you. Whoa. Now you got his attention. Come on. I love you. Instead of saying, I want. I give thanks to you. Do you realize that thanksgiving is the language of faith? And what did the word of God say about faith? It pleases God when you use faith. You understand that? So when you say, I thank you, Lord, you're actually exercising your faith. And guess what? You've got his ear right away because he's pleased with faith. I am grateful of your sacrifice for me. I want to know you more. I want to see you more. I know these are a couple of wants, but they're talking I want intimacy. Not things of this earth. Not goods. I want to know you more. I want to see you more. My heart is yours. My life is yours. And I know that you only have good in store for me. And listen to this. May I abide in your love for me. May I live in your love for me. These are all kinds of sentences as an example of creating intimacy with the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? You're hearing me about intimacy. 
And there's a reason why I'm talking about or teaching on intimacy is because it is one of the building blocks for your authority. May I receive more revelation of you. May I hear your voice. Thank you for keeping trouble far from me. Help me discover my purpose and my destiny in your kingdom. And these are all kinds of senses. I just give you a few of this is how you pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Do you understand that? When he taught us about the Lord's Prayer, it was about intimacy. And there was only one sentence in that prayer that actually was asking for something. And it goes like this. Give us this day our daily bread. That's it. Only one sentence. And it wasn't, oh, if you feel generous today, God, would you please make sure that all of my needs are taken care of today? When you read that sentence, it's got authority. Give this day, right, all my needs. Amen? So it wasn't like, you know, petition, prayer. God, I want, to want, to want, to want, to want. It was just a matter of authority. Give us this day our daily bread. Amen? That's faith talking. And like I told you, God will always draw closer to people when they start using faith. I'm sorry, but that's what the Word of God says. He's pleased with His people when they start using faith. Right? Amen. Amen. Intimacy. You know, it says, Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these other things will be added unto you. Amen? So what are you worried about? If you're seeking Him first... And his righteousness. You know what his righteousness is? It's Jesus Christ. That's his righteousness given to us. And all these other things will be added unto you. But seek first. Seek first. Have intimacy with me. First. You know, there was a couple lessons that Jesus wanted to do to the disciples. You remember the story? When there was a man who brought his demon-possessed son, this demon was throwing him in the water, trying to drown him, throwing him in the fire, trying to burn him to death, right? And this demon had been uh, possessing this young boy since childbirth. Or not childbirth, but when he was a young, young boy. Anyways, Jesus came over because there was a bit of fuss and bluss going off and over with his disciples and this man. And he said, what are you talking about? And uh, we don't have time to turn to it, but what was happened was... Well, I brought my boy, and the father went into all the description, and, and Jesus, and, and so I asked your disciples to cast this demon out, and they couldn't, right? Remember that story? And, and, you know, Jesus, he had a few words at that time. He says, you faithless generation, how long am I going to be with you? <laughs> it was a teaching lesson for the disciples, you know, because he went on and said, and it's found in Matthew 17, verse 20, 
And the fact is, Jesus went on and said, right in that, after he kind of, you know, disciplined them about how long am I going to be with you, he said, you can tell this mountain here to move, and it will move. And if you tell the mountain to go be cast into the sea, then it will go. What was Jesus talking about? He wasn't saying, I'm going to do this for you. He said, you can. So he was talking to the disciples about their authority, right? Then the disciples came to him after and says, you know, Lord, why couldn't we cast them out? Because we, we've been all over Israel and we took your name and authority and demons were subject to us. Remember that? They, they were all excited about the fact that, you know, the demons were even scared of us and people were getting healed. Now, you notice that demons have to be cast out before healing starts. Come on, there's a clue there. There's a clue there. Where do you think sickness and disease comes from? Does it come from heaven? It comes from hell. And who's the propagators of sickness and disease? The demonic. Deal with them first. Cast them out. Majority of times when people are sick, it's because of demons. It's time to take the authority. That's why Jesus wanted the disciples to know. And he said, this one, this demon only comes out by what? Prayer and fasting. Our focus seems to be on how powerful this demon was. When that was not the lesson being taught here. The lesson that was being taught was disciples, the fact is, if you are intimate with me, you have authority over every demon. Come on. Not just in Jesus' name, but your authority. All right? I should imagine those disciples were using his name over the demon. But Jesus had a lesson. He said, this one only comes out by prayer, which is intimacy and fasting. You don't fast to lose weight. That's only a side benefit. You can look upon the congregation and you know who's fasting and who's not. Just kidding, just kidding. Just kidding. It's not about losing weight. Right? Fasting is all about getting to know Jesus Christ more. In the Old Testament, they used to fast when they're mourning. You know what? This side of the cross, we don't need to mourn. Know what I'm saying? We get so focused on the world today. You know, I remember being in Haiti, and I just a little sidetrack here to bring a point across. I was in Haiti, and, and you know, they, they started to get the cell phone, right? All North America, the rest of the world, Haiti was the last one to get cell phones. And, you know, the Haitian people are just, oh, they're loving it. I can talk to my, I can text my friend. You know, they were just into it, right? But when they see on the Internet all the disasters that are happening in the world and everything that's going on, they can't even comprehend that. They don't know where to put their minds at. You know why? Because they're concerned about their daily living. 
They can't carry the load of all the care of what's happening in the world. All they're focused in is on the day where they, am I going to get fed today? Am I going to have shelter today? Am I going to have clothes today? That was their focus. And when they, when they scrolled the internet and they saw what was going around the world, they were looking at me with big eyes. What? I can't do anything with that. You know, they can't do anything with it. Right? They just, it was too, you know, us as believers, you know, we carry, as pastor said, we worry and we carry so much. You know, it's time for us to unplug, you know. It's time for us to get off the Internet. Some of you, that would be a good fast for you, wouldn't it? Yeah. Fasting, scrolling. You know, the fact is Jesus wants us to get to know him, right? Yeah, Jesus is coming. And I want to be on the first ship out of here. I don't know about you. Right? But I can't speed up his coming. Isn't that true? We get so overloaded of where the world's at, we forget about the intimacy with Christ, your soon and coming king. He's coming very soon. He's coming for those who know who he is. Amen? Time to get to know him. Hallelujah. Okay. We're doing good, dear. This is part of building your authority when you're intimate with the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus mentioned something, and I'll finish this point here. Jesus was talking about at the judgment seat, there will be people who will be standing in front of him, and they will be saying, Lord, I did this for you in your name. Lord, I did that for you in your name. And Jesus looked at them and said, what? I never knew you. Jesus will honor his name. Even unbelievers who use the name of Jesus Christ in the correct manner, things will happen in the Spirit because he will always honor the name of Jesus. There's authority in the name of Jesus. And Christian, that is why we need to keep our mouths and our tongues perfect before the Lord when we release things because we have authority in that name. So if you use that name in other other ways than it should be, then things are going to go get messed up in your life. Do you understand that? Do you understand that your authority can mess your life up by what you speak? And I don't have time to go there. I'm just hitting the mountaintop on that one. Do we understand that? What was wrong with those people that stood before the Lord? Is that even though they used his name, they didn't know him. There was no intimacy. Not something. Intimacy is a building block in your authority. Amen? You all, you, are you all good? Good? I don't feel too many arrows or daggers coming at me. Authoritative power is also being built by understanding our identity. If we have intimacy, 
then the next building block is our identity. Amen? Some of you, maybe I should turn the air conditioning up. Some of you are like... I know it's warm outside. Identity. Ephesians 1 verse 18 says this. He is also praying that the eyes of the Ephesians of the understanding be enlightened that you may know what is the hope of his calling. What are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? He wanted the Ephesian people to know what was invested inside the saints of God. Do you understand that? We talked about inherent power. Dunamis is inherent power. In the saints of Christ, we have inherent power that dwells inside of us. Amen? The only thing is, is if we do not know who we are in Jesus Christ, right? That is our identity we won't be able to release that power because we don't know who we are. If you believe that you're a sinner saved by grace, right? That you're not the child of God, you're not the righteousness of God like the scripture says that you are. See, we got to pull our identity from what the word of God says about us. We're the righteousness of God. If we believe that we're just a sinner... How are you going to release the power of God? Because the authority comes from your identity. Come on. I know I'm digging a little deep here. But it's, you've got to understand this believer. That the power reigns in us. It dwells in us. It moves in us. But it needs to be released. But if we don't have intimacy and we don't understand our identity, then the fact is, you know, demons look at us, and we look as, they look at us as nuclear bombs that haven't gone off yet. Okay? Are you scared of a nuclear bomb that doesn't go off? Right? But when that nuclear bomb goes off, guess what? Right? Then there's something to get worried about, right? Boom. And my shadow would just be on the wall there. This is the kind of power that's in us. Demons also know when a believer doesn't know who they are. They've got all this power that they don't know how to release it. They know it. Okay? We have a lot of people in the world today that are identifying themselves through sexual preference and believing certain ideologies. And they're gleaning their identity from sexual preference and also ideology. You imagine how shallow that is. That is what the problem is, is with our world. They're looking for identity, and they're pulling on the worldly ideologies to, you know, like, you know, folks, just because you're an engineer, that's not who you are. That's what you do. If you're a carpenter, that's not who you are. That's what you do. Do you understand that? You may have a sexual preference, but that's not who you are. The Bible says that you are a co-heir with Christ. You are in partnership with the King of kings and Lord of lords. You wear a crown. You have a robe of righteousness. Amen? You have a crown. You have a signet ring on your, well, we'll say middle finger. 
We have a signet ring. You know what that signifies? That you're a child of the Most High. Do you understand that? This is where we need to be drawing our identity from. Amen? Not from what we do. Not from ideologies around the world. That is not who we are. It's something you do. And Jesus wanted to know it is not what you do that brings identity, just like those couple that was standing in front of him. It's not what you do in my name. It's the fact that you didn't know him. You didn't know who you were. If you know about him, then you need to know about who you are in him. Does that make sense to you? This is a building block for your authority. Amen? When the eyes of your understanding is enlightened on your identity, your purpose and destiny, and your calling. That's right. When you understand your identity, then you also understand your calling. Do we understand that? Your identity is your calling. That doesn't mean to say you're called to be a pastor or a teacher, an apostle, prophet, or an evangelist. Right? Those are elected offices that Jesus is the one that gave those gifts to, right? But the fact is your calling is still in the kingdom of God. And you need to find out what it is in the kingdom of God that is your calling. Do you understand that? Many are called, few are chosen, we all know that. But we don't have any deep, we're not going to go into that, what it means. But the fact is that... All of us have a calling on our life. Every single one of us, a book has been written about our life. It's a matter of finding out what that book says. When you understand your calling, you understand your identity. When you understand your identity, you understand your calling. Amen? And without it, you can't release the full power that's resident within you. Wow. I could go on and on and on about identity. Whew. Now, one thing about our identity, and I'll just skip on this a little bit, is that when we're damaged emotionally, right, certain decisions were made that affected you, but you had no choice in the matter. There are some things that you actually chose to do that has messed you all up. What happens when you're damaged emotionally is your vision or your enlightenment of who you are is skewed. You have the wrong perspective of who you are because it's going through the filter of the issues, the pain, the unforgiveness, the offenses, and all of those things that this life brings. When we have damaged emotions, we are skewing finding out what our calling is, right? Because a lot of our perspectives are based on who we are is what has happened to us in the past. Are you hearing me? One of the biggest battles in the body of Christ right now, you wonder why certain believers are addicted to different things and different substances, and different things that the world gives. It's because they don't know who they are. Do you understand that? 
Once they discover, when your eyes have been enlightened, as Paul prayed, when your eyes of understanding understand that some of the past is skewing your vision, which is skewing your authority. So when you pray for people, when you release things that you want, it doesn't come the way you want. And it's because you lack that authority because it's all banged up from what has happened in your past. And you refuse to deal with those issues. I was abused when I was a child. Not me. I'm just using that. I was fine. I was raised in a safe home, just so you know. That's why I'm mentally okay. No, just kidding. But we're using our past for an excuse. I'm sorry. It's kind of tough, what I'm saying. But deal with your stuff. Deal with those. Get healed. You know why you need to be healed? Don't sit there and life just go on by, right? Never understanding your calling, never understanding your identity because you can't get over certain things that have happened in your life. It's one of those things that's skewing the identity of believers in the church right now. You wonder why certain Christians can't get over easily beset by their sins. You know why? It's because they don't understand who they are. If they truly understood that they're the righteousness of God, they would never take this rope and indulge it into the pigsty of the world. Do you understand that? It affects our authority when we allow the past to dictate how we perceive ourselves. When Jesus said, everything has become new. Old things have passed away, but everything has become new. Now I realize now, obviously, over the years and the decades of ministry, I realize that believers have to go through a process for their healing. I understand that. But what I don't understand is why believers just sit there in denial and just never understand it. They wonder why life is so rough and bumpy and relationships don't work. And, and every time they, they touch anything, it doesn't turn, you know, turn prosperous or favor. It's because they haven't got over their stuff. Do you understand that? Every one of us was raised in a culture. Every one of us was raised in, by imperfect parents. They had no idea how to affirm children because they were never affirmed. Do you understand that? I could go on and on and on and on and on about this subject. But it's so important you'll never find your calling if you don't deal with your stuff. You still love me? The third thing is the faith of Christ. Verse 19 says this. And this is Paul. And what is exceeding greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the working of his mighty power. You know, one of the things that we need to understand is that when Christ said to the waves, peace, be still. Did he expect the waves not to listen? No, seriously. When he raised his arms 
And he told the winds and the waves, calm down. And you what? The disciples were in the boat as the witnesses and the very things, the waves and the wind immediately stopped. Did Christ doubt that that would happen? This is what I mean by the faith of Christ. We have that authority through the faith of Christ. When we say to demons, come on up and out, we expect them to obey. Isn't that true? Yes, we use the name of Jesus, but the demon recognizes that you and your authoritative power has just commanded the release of the Holy Spirit and that demon has to go. Hello. I hope you're getting something out of this this morning. When he commanded sickness and disease to leave a person's body, was there any doubt that that sickness and disease was not going to be healed? When he commanded and he spoke, he believed that it will be done. Isn't that true? This is what I mean about authority, intimacy, our identity, understanding our identity, and having the faith of Christ to release what's inside of us. Amen? That is building blocks for our authority. Hallelujah. You know, Jesus said also that we would do greater things than him. And yeah, we're blown over by that, that comment right there. Isn't that true? You will do greater things than I've done. Well, the only way that's going to accomplish is when we understand <laughs> our own authority in Jesus Christ. Come on. You know, Jesus loved it when people had great faith. Amen? Amen. Remember the centurion? Jesus, just say the word. You don't have to come to my house. Just say the word, and, it was, and it's done. Jesus was absolutely flabbergasted at this man's faith. You know why? He was a centurion. He was a soldier. He knew the lines of authority. Just say the word, Lord, and my daughter will be made whole. And guess what happened? Jesus, what? What? I haven't heard faith like this in all of Israel. And it takes a Gentile centurion to understand the authority. Amen? A Gentile understood authority. And Jesus was flabbergasted at the faith. What about the woman that searched Jesus out just to touch the hem of his garment because she had an issue of blood? The Bible says, you know, it was her faith that released power out of him to heal her body. Do we understand that Jesus was the living example of what we can do through him? Do you understand that? He looked at that woman with the issue of blood 
And she, he looked at her and he said, it is your faith that has made you whole. Do we understand that? And he made a point of it because he felt power go from his body when she touched the hem of his garment. There's so much to that story and I can't get to it. But do you understand? You know, intimacy Identity, understanding your identity, and using the faith of Christ. These are the three building blocks for your authority. Jesus said when he ascended to heaven, before he ascended, he said to the disciples, he said, all authority has been given unto me. And then the next two words, now go. Do the same things that I have done. Cast out demons. Heal the sick. Raise the dead. Do all the things that I have done. And how is that possible? Well, wait in Jerusalem until you have been clothed with power from on high. Amen? Before the baptism, before the day of Pentecost, the disciples had the authority of his name. But he was teaching them through that time that they also have authority through him, not only to use his name, but to do the same signs, wonders, and miracles. So the power dwells in you and I. And it needs to be released. A lot of us are waiting for the coming upon. Day of Pentecost, it was a coming upon. Holy Spirit came upon. When we're baptized in the Holy Ghost, it's an infilling. It's a coming upon. Understand that? Remember I said that this body is the temple. This body is the tent. It's your flesh that has been filled with the Spirit. You are the clay jar in which the treasure resides. But it needs to be released. The nature of what you have needs to be released. The Holy Spirit cannot be contained for long. It has to be released. The power of the Holy Ghost has to be released. And guess what? When you understand your, your identity, when you're intimate, when you know him, right? And you're using the faith of Christ, you release that power to other people. Hallelujah. You know, the late Jack Hayford, said this. I don't know if you know Jack Hayford, but he recently went on to glory. He said this, we war from victory, not for victory. If you know who you are, you know what you've received. We war from victory because victory's in you. Not for victory. We do not have to re-defeat the devil 
Do you understand that? We do not have to re-defeat the devil. We enforce the defeat in Christ's name. He is already defeated. We are distributors of power, not generators. Think about that one. We are distributors of power, not generators. We are the distribution department of the kingdom and not the production part of the kingdom. Hello. Are you there? You know what? Joel's prophecy is going to happen. What does it say in Joel? He says, I'll pour my spirit out on all what? Flesh. That hasn't happened yet in North America, but it's going to happen. And that'll be a coming upon. The body of Christ in North America is still waiting for the coming upon. Do you get my point? We're waiting for the Holy Spirit to show up. When he already resides inside of you and I. Revival's going to come, but it's not revival for the church. It's not for us to swim in the spirit and surf ride on all the waves. There will be some of that, and you'll enjoy it. You may even swing from the chandeliers. You can't reach the lights here, so. When we encounter the Holy Ghost, when we encounter his power and fills you, you know, <laughs> you know, somebody says, you're drunk with the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But see, that power has to go somewhere. It's not for you personally. <laughs> it's there. It's filled up ready to be released. Amen. And while we're waiting for the Holy Spirit to come upon, we're missing the boat of releasing what we have. Revival is going to be for the unbeliever. I don't care what your definition of revival is, but when revival hits this land, there'll be sport bars and bars and people in those bars, the Spirit of God will come upon and invade that pub. And the people will get on their knees and repent and accept Christ as their Savior. Now that's revival. Amen? Yes, we need reformation in the church. What do we mean by reformation? <laughs> we need to grow our intimacy. We need to understand our identity. And we need to start practicing the faith of Christ. We need to start releasing our authoritative power so that we may release the Holy Spirit's power. Amen? Are you getting something out of this today? Let's stand. Let's stand. How are you doing? A lot of preachers are scared to preach this because they want the sheep to feel comfortable. Some of our captains in the Christian world, they're captains of ships, of cruise liners. 
want to make sure that the sheep are happy. We don't want them to start bah. We're an apostolic center here, which means that you need to be trained up and equipped. And you're doing the work of the ministry. Do we understand the difference between a pastoral paradigm and the apostolic? So when I preach, I preach apostolically to encourage you. Your intimacy needs to grow. You need to understand the eyes of your understanding need to grow so you know who you are. Instead of lying in the deck chair, enjoying the sun, and going in the swimming pool like you would do on a cruise. <laughs> Isn't it funny? Pastor Craig and Ann are on a cruise right now. <laughs> well deserved. But when it comes to a church, and we just sit there and we get our baby bottles. <laughs> There's a reason why the Holy Spirit fills you up. And it is to release that power to an unbelieving generation. And your nose may be bent out of shape this morning, but I spoke in what the Holy Spirit asked me to speak. And I give no apology. Your intimacy, your identity, and your faith. This is what will build your authority. Amen. Amen. Now may the Lord bless you. May his face shine upon you. May his glory inhabit your being. Let him keep you from temptation and trials. Let his blessing rest on all of you. I pray, Lord Jesus, right now, the blessing of authoritative power to be released. Lord, that every single one of us would understand what has been given to us. That treasure in this jar of clay. Lord, that we will be blessed when we release that power to those who need to know you. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. Amen. We have some prayers, if the prayers want to come down. And uh, God bless you guys.